God bless you kids. <laughs> In our church, we always clap when they leave, so yeah. <clears throat> we love the kids and uh, so grateful for them. Thanks, parents and grandparents and families that are loving on our children. Uh, it's really fun to be back here. Um, uh, it was just a little over 39 years ago, like just yesterday, that Beverly and I were standing down there, and Reverend Ray was saying, do you want to commit that to her, and do you want to do that to him? And we got married here. It was really fun, 39 years ago. And um, you guys haven't changed a bit. You look great. So, yeah, really, really good. So good to be back. Um, I want to thank uh, Pastor Mitch. I actually have not met him. Last time I was here, it was just before he um, began his term here. And um, so, but he reached out and invited me, and I really appreciate uh, him giving me this opportunity to speak again to you and to express my gratitude for your partnership in the gospel. And I also want to um, call out Chantel and thank you so much for um, yeah, just our correspondence. You've been so great. And the team of volunteers. Um, this is just a wonderful church. I sense the presence of God here, and you guys are really blessed. Um, yeah, so again, my name is Glenn Ewart, and I serve with University. But we're going to be looking at a book that probably you're all super familiar with. It's a book of um, Malachi. When's the last time you opened up the book of Malachi? Maybe it's been a bit. So we're, gonna, uh, we're just going to look at the first chapter of Malachi. Um, but um, for, so you, it might take a little while to find it. I will give you this hint, though. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And there you go. If you can find Matthew, it's the one before Matthew. Um, but before we get there, I um, just want to ask you this question. Um, have you ever had... Someone asks you with strong convictions um, a question or say something to you with a strong conviction that just didn't seem right. Like they were telling you something and they were convinced that it was true, but you're like, I don't think so. But you don't know how to tell them that you think they're wrong. You just know deep down that they probably are. I remember um, thinking that what he had said to me that particular afternoon didn't have to be true. And I wondered why he, a Christian leader, would tell me, a young Christian, a brand new Christian, that someday... I would lose my zeal for the Lord. It didn't make sense to me why he would tell me what I thought was a pretty discouraging word. But uh, that was 43 years ago. And since that afternoon, um, I think I now get it what maybe he had seen and maybe why he was predicting this for me. Because I now also, too oftentimes, have seen once passionate followers uh, of Jesus lose their love and passion for God. And uh, what happens is we 
begin to, in our early years walking with Christ, we're giving him our best, and we're offering him our best. But then just over time, we slip into a pattern of offering him not our best, but sometimes actually our leftovers, and in some cases, our very least. My guess is that you've seen this too in your own life, yeah? Maybe you've observed some people who, over time, their faith has waned. It's cooled. And they're not as passionate or as zealous as they once were. In fact, perhaps maybe some of you might be can relate to that experience. It's pretty common of um, maybe now thinking of yourself as a Christian is more of a label um, more than a, a lifestyle where you're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ passionately. Well, um, Malachi has a lot to say about this, and so I hope that as we jump into this book that you're going to profit from this message. Because I've titled this sermon, and I don't think I'm the originator of this title, but um, I, I've stolen it, I, but I don't know who to give credit to, so just whoever, thank you. Um, so I'm using it, major profit from a minor profit. Uh, but right, because the passage that we're going to be looking at, Malachi, it's, um, it's one of the 12 um, minor prophets in the Old Testament. or They were originally just called the 12 books of the Old, um, in the Old Testament. And, um, and these books are gems. And I think that they hold a lot of relevance for us, even though they were written so long ago, uh, when we look at them and seek to understand what God was saying to us um, through them, it, they have tremendous relevance. So here we go. Um, I know that it's 2023, right? Yeah, all right. But we're going to go back in time to 585 B.C. All right, so kids, that's even before I was born. Okay, so that's a, like a long time ago. 585 B.C. So the fortresses of Jerusalem. This is going to be a review for some of you. It's going to be new information for others. Um, I'm going to try to be quick with a little history lesson here. The fortresses of Jerusalem, including the Hebrew sacred place of worship, they were ransacked by the Babylonians who took Uh, many of the Israelites captive, and then sent them off into exile. About 70 years after that, around 515 B.C., the king of Babylon began uh, allowing some of the exiles to return to uh, Jerusalem. There's about 50,000 of them, so that they could uh, begin rebuilding the temple and their lives back in their um, home country. And so some of you are familiar with the Old Testament, and, and uh, you'll know th- uh, this story from reading the book of Ezra. This is where it goes into a lot of detail in the book of Ezra. And um, you might know from this book that as they returned to, Jer- to Jerusalem after being exiled by the Babylonians, Uh, that they began to rebuild the temple. And as this was happening, a spiritual revival broke out. 
And, uh, and again, Ezra describes this in great detail. And the, the spiritual revival was characterized by there was confession of sin. There was this tremendous humility of God's people before a holy God, a holy and righteous God. And, um, uh, and, and the people just rededicated themselves to serving God with passion and with zeal. About 50 years, um, this revival uh, continued. This includes the time when Nehemiah, Nehemiah was given permission to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. That might ring some bells too. Yes, I know that story. So this is all happening around that same time frame. Time frame. And so the revival continues. But even in Nehemiah's time, um, you begin to, as you read that book, you begin to uh, see that even though he was able to complete rebuilding that wall, the proverbial wall around the people's heart actually was beginning to crumble. So a physical wall was built successfully, but something else was going on in here, in the people, and, and, and it wasn't good. And they were, the people were already beginning to show signs of spiritual um, uh, decay. So it's in this time frame, uh, roughly 430 B.C., that the book of Malachi was written. So 430-ish B.C. Though the Jews had a new temple for worship, a beautiful wall protecting their city, And the freedom to live out their devotion to God, a lack of zeal in their devotion toward God grew to the point where he once again raised up a prophet, this time by the name of Malachi, to reprimand his covenant people. After nearly 150 years, God's people had finally gained what they had been praying for. Relative independence from occupying nations and the hope of religious liberty. And yet, because of their increasing lack of spiritual integrity, the spiritual wall around their hearts was breached by an enemy far greater than even the Babylonians. And Malachi describes this as their contempt for God, which we'll look at. So we're going to dive into this first chapter of this minor prophet with the hope of learning from the mistakes that others have made so that we can live our lives with spiritual integrity and with zeal for God that never dies. Amen? All right, so with that little introduction, I'm going to invite Jess Munn up. And she's going to read Malachi chapter 1 for us. Thank you. All right, uh, Malachi chapter 1, I'm going to be reading from the NIV version, so it'll be different than your pew Bible. So, Malachi chapter 1. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, but Esau I have hated, 
and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may rebuild, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how do we show contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because the Lord will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's temple is defiable, and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has, a who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Thank you, Jess. <clears throat> what a great reader. Nice job. <clears throat> this oracle, this prophetic word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, it begins so beautifully with this statement. I love how Malachi opens. I have loved you, says the Lord. That's a great beginning of a book, isn't it? This is what the Israelites had been told all their lives. I have loved you, says the Lord God. It's what they've been told. It's what they'd been taught, and yet for some reason, it's not what they believed. They respond immediately. You saw it in the text. How? How have you loved us, they asked. And this question, it could be interpreted a zillion different ways. Like, you've got to be kidding. Oh, really? You say you love us? Prove it. Sort of 
a way that you could interpret that. It's not clear from the context why they thought that God had stopped loving them. This is a guess. Perhaps there were residual feelings passed on from the generation or two before them that had lived as exiles in Babylon. Though they had been allowed to return home through a series of near miraculous events, it's possible the stories that were passed down from one generation to the next were more about how they had suffered as exiles than the stories about their miraculous deliverance. The stories we tell and how we tell them are important. Though we don't know for certain the root causes for it, what we do know for certain is that they questioned God's love. And as we'll see, when God's love is in question, questionable things can happen. InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It's, this is at the college ministry that I've been serving with for, for 40 years. And it's the ministry that East Glenville Community Church has been supporting for 40 years. Well done. Thank you. We have a, we have a purpose statement, and we're going to put it up there just so that you can see it. It says this, In response to this love that we're talking about, in response to God's love, grace, and truth, the purpose of InVarsity Christian Fellowship is to advance and establish at colleges and universities witnessing communities of students and faculty who follow Jesus Christ as Lord. We believe that God loves the 1.2 million college students that are part of the universities and colleges in New York and New Jersey. That's the geographic region that I work in. But we know that the vast majority of these students have no clue of God's love for them. If you were to tell them, they would say, oh yeah, prove it. I don't believe it for a, a moment. We are on campus. I am on campus. So that by all possible means, students can respond to this great and awesome love of God for them. And to give them the opportunity to respond to God's love. So that they could begin to live their lives the way that they were meant to be lived. Amen? Yeah, that's what keeps me there. So Rocco. Rocco, um, he's, a 19, he's a 2012 alumni from Clarkson University. And about a month ago, he sent me a random email, and I love getting random emails from my former students, and he said this. For my first and second semester at Clarkson, I had very little to do with the church, although I'd been raised in a Christian household. I tried to go to church groups, but I never really felt like I belonged. That was before I started attending university. You guys welcomed me, even though I was not particularly Christian-like in my behavior. The time that I spent getting involved with university brought me much closer to the Lord and away from the party lifestyle that I adopted through college and all through high school. I also... I had a number of my non-Christian friends noticing something different, even to the point where they would 
tell me any time that they were doing something good, as if they were, um, uh, like I could give them brownie points for, um, with God. He's, he wrote. So today, Rocco, this is you know, 11 years ago when he graduated, um, he's a great guy. And this is what he wrote. He said, um, today I'm a committed believer with a committed believing wife and a son who will be raised in the faith. And then he finished his email to me with this. I can give an argument as to why I believe what I believe. It's very simple. I had one incredible experience, almost like Paul, but in reverse, the Apostle Paul. God opened my eyes, and InterVarsity played a key role in that experience. So part of why I'm here is to thank you. Um, Thank you for supporting InterVarsity, for praying for Beverly and me and this work that we're involved with, um, and helping students like Rocco respond to God's love, the same love that we read in Malachi, now expressed through Jesus Christ. And when God's love, um, we know, uh, is in question, questionable things can happen. But when God radically transforms a student's life, In four years that I have the joy of working with them in college, it changes the way that they live their lives for the next 40-plus years. And it is unquestionably better. That's the joy of being involved in this work. So back to Malachi. God replied to those questioning his love in Malachi by reminding them Um, in verses 2 to 5, that they were still his chosen people, deeply loved and blessed to love and to bless others. And you can see that if if your Bible is open in verses 2 to 5. It's a little confusing at first, and so a a commentary, um, I think, helpfully explains these verses by saying this. Isaac and Rebekah, they had two sons, Esau and Jacob. God chose Jacob, whom he later renamed Israel, to be the father of his chosen people, the Israelites. God did not choose Esau, whom he also called Edom. But even Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, were in many ways blessed by God And you can see that in Genesis 33, verse 9, but then pretty much the entire chapter of 36 in Genesis. Um, You see the blessing upon the Edomites, even though they were not the descendants that God chose um, to be his blessing. So we have to ask, though, at least I have to ask, what does it mean that God hated Esau? I'm hoping that that kind of language, when you read, about, read it, it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. Like, ah, uh, I don't like that verse. <laughs> I hope that that's your, like, your reaction. It should be. So it may be helpful to remember that Jesus once also used the word hate. Uh, and he used it in a similar manner as it's being used here in Malachi. When he said this, Jesus said, If anyone comes to me 
and does not hate his father and mother, wife, sorry Beverly, and children, sorry Alyssa, um, my daughter's here, um, and brothers and sisters, sorry Sue, my sister's here. I have to hate all of these people, right? So, um, yeah, if, if anyone comes to me and does not hate your family, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. We know as we're reading this and as we study this, we know that Jesus was speaking using hyperbole, right? We know this, yes? Okay, uh, I feel like that's enough yeses to convince me that we know this. Uh, do not go home hating anybody like this. Because we are to, in comparison, right, to our love and our devotion to God, all other relationships take, you know, the back seat, as it were. Our first and foremost devotion is to God and to Him alone. So when we read the words love and hate, it's tempting to immediately begin to understand them like the way that we understand our own human emotions. However, considering the context, God loving Jacob and hating Esau actually has nothing to do with human emotion of love and hate the way that we think of it. But it actually has everything to do with God choosing one person and his descendants for a specific purpose, while not choosing another man and his descendants for that same purpose or in a same way. So it's, it's a great example, and it's used throughout the Old Testament. It's a great example of prophetic writing also being poetic writing. But what was the purpose that God chose Jacob's descendants, the Israelites, for? This is review for some, but we, it is important to remind ourselves what this purpose is unless we get weird about it. Genesis 12 spells it out very clearly, and we'll put this up. Genesis 12, verse 1, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In other words, the Israelites were chosen not because God loved them more than other nations, but because he had a mission for them to make his love and his glory known among all the nations. Yes? In the first chapter of Malachi, we see this mandate repeated at least three times. I'm just going to highlight them so that we don't get weird. So Malachi, chapter 1, verse 5. Even the Edomites, the ones who had become proud and rebellious, we see this description of them in this chapter. Um, and they actually had to endure uh, the judgment of God. Even these people would see with their own eyes and declare 
Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. So they would see God's blessings being poured out. And they would even declare the praises of God. In verse 11, God is recorded as saying, My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and burnt, pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations. There it is again, right in chapter 1, says the Lord Almighty. And then again, in verse 14, God declared, For I am a great king, and my name is to be feared among the nations. This was God's original intent, blessing the nation of Israel so that they could be a blessing to all the nations. God's intention for choosing and blessing the Israelites with his love was so that they could bless other nations with his love. This reminds us, doesn't it, of the Great Commission. Found in Matthew 28, Jesus, one of Jesus' final words that he gives to us. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where Jesus says now to his disciples, to those that would become the forefathers of the church, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God chose the people of Israel as his agent of blessing nations with his love in the Old Testament. That was his plan. His salvation plan, if you will. Today, the global church is his chosen agent to bless the nations with his church. Yes, this is our mission, and it's awesome to be in it together. Let me just uh, uh, pull back a little bit to say a little bit more about InterVarsity. As an outreach ministry of the church, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship has remained committed to this biblical mandate. Our purpose is to call students and faculty who follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, as we help them to grow in love for God, God's Word, God's people of every ethnicity and culture, and God's purposes in the world. And this gets expressed in everything that we do. From Urbana, some of you know about Urbana, our, our triannual um, missions, international missions conference. Um, some of you are familiar with our very robust ministry to international students. But day after day after day, as we meet with students and faculty, we are calling them to respond to God's love for them through Jesus Christ. We are pointing them to the truest expression of God's love found no other in no one else but Jesus Christ. come across somebody who's gone to church for 10 years or 30 years or earlier this summer Beverly and I we had a conversation with a woman who's been going to church for over 50 years but she was still questioning God's love for her so sad going to church every week and yet still questioning God's love 
For some, it's difficult to believe that God could possibly love them because of the things that they've done and they're just ashamed of. They're not willing to even admit it to their spouse or their closest friends, let alone talk to God about it. For some, they just struggle believing that God loves them because they believe for whatever reason that they are unlovable and unworthy to be loved. Still others are never at peace with God's love because they feel that they're either not doing enough for him or that whatever they are doing, it's never quite good enough. Maybe some of you uh, know people that struggle with this. Perhaps some of you actually struggle with some of this. I'll say it again. Questionable things can happen when God's love is in question. We see in Malachi 1.6, and this is when things get really wonky uh, with the Israelites. God is saying to the Israelites, A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due my name? God is saying. If I'm a master, where is the respect due my name, says the Lord Almighty. And he speaks to the leaders. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. The Israelites' inability to embrace God's love for them made them less able and certainly less willing to show him honor and respect and much less inclined to fulfill their role as his chosen people, chosen to extend his love to other nations. God's indictment against them was directed toward the leaders, the priests, yes, but clearly it wasn't just the leaders who were the guilty ones. It was the nation in its entirety. The priests and the people that the priests were leading developed a pattern of dishonoring and disrespecting God even in their acts of worship, as we read about in the rest of this chapter. And we won't have time to exposit or go into greater depth into the rest of the chapter, but that's what it's all about. Four times in chapter 1, the word contempt or contemptible appears, making it clear both the condition of their hearts and the heart of the problem that God is addressing. Their contempt for God led them to believe that giving God their best in worship was beneath them. They felt it was inconvenient, perhaps it was overburdensome to go through everything that they felt they needed to do, and in the end they just felt it was unnecessary And so they found all these shortcuts to look religious, and yet their hearts were far from God. And so their contempt for God, as it so oftentimes does, led them being content with offering to God not their very best as he deserves, but again, their very least. So this book, the book of Malachi, it's it's a warning It's a warning to the people of God that what they were doing was not right. This book 
It's important. It's an important reminder to you and to me and, and I think to the church in our day of the need for clarity and confidence about His love for us and to wholeheartedly respond to His love by giving Him our very best in worship and in witness as we hold out the hope of the gospel to this very broken world of ours. Beverly said, the last time I was here, I broke the church. And some of you maybe know what she means by that, because the last time I was here was March 8th, 2020. And I don't know if you had one more service in person after I left, but I'm sure you didn't have two more. Because that's when we all shut down. Life came to a screeching halt, didn't it? The way that we did life changed radically. So I apologize for breaking the church (laughs) if I had anything to do with it. It forced us, the pandemic, to change the way that we worked, to change the way that we lived. When they closed the college campuses, uh, that was a new one on me, right? Um, We needed to pivot quickly, like many of us needed to pivot quickly to figure out how to maintain our connections with students online. And you know, many of you, what connecting with people online was like. It was better than nothing, but barely. (laughs) It was not easy, was it? School teachers? Yeah, no, let's not ever do that again. Um, But in a lot of professions, it was not easy. As it became apparent that the pandemic was going to last far longer than most of us had imagined, I thought it was just going to be a couple of weeks or maybe a month or two. Couldn't imagine it was going to last beyond that summer. Um, But as that became more apparent, we began asking God, all right, so all of these doors are now closed. Are you going to open any new ones for us that we could, you know, walk through and maybe do some ministry in that way. So it took us a little while, but in the fall of 2020, um, I helped launch a virtual training curriculum for students on campuses throughout New York and New Jersey. There's a lot of them. Um, And we were providing, uh, I was involved with providing training for students that wanted to lead. At that point, they were virtual missional small groups. So I was providing this training. It's called Go and Do. At first, we focused on the campuses where we had had a, uh, a presence on. Uh, it took us a little while to figure out, though, that this online training made it possible for us to connect with students everywhere, not just on campuses where we had had a presence, but on campuses without any viable Christian witness. And we began getting connections, and some of those students began going through our training, and And then they were launching these eventual in-person missional small groups, providing an opportunity for their friends on those campuses to grow in their faith and also for their friends to come to faith in Christ. So we've been working, we've been, uh, this training continues, and we continue to do it virtually because we can connect with um, students on hundreds of campuses this way. It's, It's phenomenal. 
But uh, recently, it's kind of, uh, we've become, we've seen another open door that God has provided for us. And uh, we're now actually training uh, recent high school graduates uh, who, uh, who are strong in their faith and they want training to know how to lead a Bible study so that when they get into a freshman dorm or if they're on a commuter campus into a commuter lounge or something, and they're trained and equipped and ready to launch a missional small group for their other freshman friends that they're going to be meeting. And when you think about the connections that freshmen have with freshmen and how profound those friendships are, the kingdom impact for what's happening is significant. And um, so I'm saying this to you in part to give thanks to God for what he's opened up for us and again to say thank you for your partnership in all of this. But also to say if you have high school uh, seniors or whatever, um, we are wanting to connect with them, build a relationship with them so that they trust us and would be willing to get this training. It's all free and it's fantastic. Um, I'm going to begin to wrap up. When God's love is in question, you can just sort of remember this because I'm repeating this. When God's love is in question, all kinds of questionable things can happen, and you've seen this. I know you have in people's lives. But when people gain clarity and they respond to his love, he has a way of making things unquestionably better. Can I get one amen? Yeah, it's true. This is the truth that I read about in the Bible. And it's also consistent what I've, with what I've seen lived out for the past 40 years in students' lives like Rocco. And honestly, people keep saying, when are you going to retire? It's, it's this reason why I'm as committed to this ministry, you know, 2023 as I was in 1983. Um, because of the transformational power of the gospel and the way it changes life and then changes that trajectory. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you for your long-term partnership with Beverly and me as we continue to serve with InterVarsity, calling believers and non-believers alike to respond to his love by faith and in obedience to the love of our Heavenly Father, as demonstrated in his son Jesus Christ and made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us as his believers. So I'm just going to leave you with these two questions and I can invite up the worship team. Um, So you could just think about this. Um, Maybe the first isn't a question, it's more of a comment. And this is... I wish that I could convince you all of this if this is an area in your life that you struggle. But the truest thing about you today is that you are deeply loved by God. It's the truest thing. Don't believe the lies that anybody else has spoken to you about or your experiences. The truest thing about you is that you are deeply loved by God. Secondly, if, if you sense that there's any contempt for God in your life, 
and it creeps in subtly. You just you, you acknowledge it. Acknowledge it before God and invite Him to change your attitude so that either for the first time or perhaps once again, once again, you can respond to His perfect love with this never-ending zeal or, or passion by offering your life as a, as the Apostle Paul said, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is our true and proper worship. <clears throat> so I don't know if you have some pretty chords that you could play. Uh, introduction to this final song, maybe. But I, I'm going to read one final paragraph. And I just kind of want you to, you could close your eyes and it's a sort of a, imagine this with me. Imagine this with me. So you can close your eyes and sort of let your holy imagination go wild. Imagine. Imagine the church today around the world filled with men and women and children offering God the respect and honor that only He deserves by zealously giving Him the very best of our lives in worship. We have been loved and we've been chosen for this. And as we, the people of God, lean into His love and faithfully fulfill our responsibility to share His love with others, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, our friends, we will see, I believe and I pray, this prophetic word in Malachi chapter 1, verse 11. God says, My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, may this be so in our day. In Jesus' name. <clears throat>